0: Here is Mandrew, it's that
1: kind of position, oh what a goal! What a goal from Danny Mandrew! The shot comes in! Oh, what a screamer!
2: Now, this is the real heart of soccer, quite frankly. Oh, my
1: God, what a finish! Well,
0: Jordan Flores met that on the meet. Hello there, and you're very welcome to episode sixteen of the LOI Arena Podcast. It's myself, Con Murphy, and Conan Byrne on the mic as usual. What is unusual is that we're half a globe apart. I'm in Japan. Conan is in Dublin. The podcast being brought to you by Pundit Arena. You'll be able to hear it at the Pundit Arena website from Sunday evening. It's also on Spotify just after that. And on this show this week, we'll be reviewing a very busy program of matches with games in Europe and domestically and uh, we'll be chatting with Waterford's new boss Mark Burcham uh, very shortly indeed I'm looking forward to uh, talking to him uh, Conan but uh, at the moment you know what I'm kind of half whispering because I'm it's about half 5 in the morning as we're speaking and the walls in this hotel are not that thick, and I'm I'm conscious that I'm actually going to be waking the people in the room next door with all my yabbering away here, and um, so hopefully you can hear me okay. Oh no,
2: yeah, I can hear you perfectly, Conor. Have you met the people next door yet? Would be uh, the first question I'd like to ask you.
0: No, um, but the only reason I know the walls are thin is because I heard them next door, and um, they were just talking last night. Uh, nothing else, but uh, <laughs> the I was able to. Totally <laughs> pretty clearly so that's that's i'm kind of conscious now that it's so early in the morning but um but if you can hear me that's the main thing yeah uh it's it's yeah. also turning t- t- hot here because um i've had to switch off the air conditioning because it's a bit noisy and so with that switched off the heat the sun is shining in the window here behind me it's unbelievably i know it's been hot at home but it's very very hot here as well tell us uh
2: tell us about your your first few days in tokyo can
0: Yeah, it's kind of a a settling in period before the games start. And there, I mean, I know there have been some positive cases reported in the last um, couple of days. One, I think, in the Athletes' Village, a couple of journalists and some other um, staff from various teams and stuff. And all I can say is, I mean, they are doing everything within their power to try and keep this as safe as possible I and mean, we were tested twice before we came out within 96 and 72 hours we were tested on arrival at the airport in tokyo um and the first three days in the broadcast center we've been tested every single morning on arrival at the and um everybody who walks in the door has this test so i mean they're 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 being uber cautious you know um, and and I suppose with the number of people that are here, I mean, we're talking in the thousands. If there are the odd sporadic one, obviously it's a worry. It's a concern because they, they don't want any kind of a spread in the village. Um, but uh, I mean, you cannot walk through a door without um, anti, um, I was going to say antiseptic uh, spray. What's it? Uh, sanitizing. You know, the sanitizing spray on the far side. um everything has been wiped down desks uh, lamps and light switches there's people going around with spray i mean it's it's unbelievable actually the the efforts that they're making to keep this as safe as possible but uh, it is it's it's a it's a very unusual games given the sort of precautions that are in place like we haven't been able to leave the hotel other than um, to go to the broadcast center there's a bus that brings you from the hotel to the broadcast center there's no kind of floating around the local area
2: you know sampling the the local restaurants or anything like that nothing i'm sure though that like in previous olympic games that journalists and broadcasters are able to mingle and have a bit of chats about the various events that they wear throughout the day i think it's going to be very very difficult for you not to be able to do that but even but even with people in your hotel in the the lobby of the hotel when you come back after an event yeah there's no hanging around at all um
0: i mean all the british uh, journalists who are saying here broadcasters and um, they are literally in their rooms they're they're in isolation they have to get you know food delivered and all that kind of stuff and um, because we're from ireland we have a tiny bit more leeway but there's still no kind of gathering in the lobby or the there the isn't a bar or the hotel but if there was we wouldn't be able to go to it um so it's it's um it's unbelievable in a way. It's a very strange uh, scenario. Um, I, Even down to things like there are some matches where we have a co-commentator on the game, but we won't be able to sit in the same uh, area. We'll have to be kept apart and all that kind of stuff. It's they've, they've gone to great lengths to try and keep things safe here. And I must say, I feel like having had the vaccination um, and all the broadcasters who've come here, one of the prerequisites was that you had to be vaccinated um with the vaccination and the testing every day and so i i kind of feel quite safe and i hope i'm not tempting fate, but um
2: you know certainly they've taken every precaution possible but you know what i'm thinking like the likes of like jimmy mcgee God rest him. Um, when, if he was at an, a boxing event and a gold medal was won or whatever, I'm sure it, afterwards he'll come back and he'll be able to describe what the what the competitor was like, the, how the stadium was feeling like and uh, the atmosphere of the place. You're just going to get it on Twitter now. You're not even going to be able to talk to Irish reporters, really, in uh, when you're yeah. there. It'll be really no. surreal. It will be strange, yeah. There's no doubt
0: about it. Yeah. Um, it'll be different um i think in some cases like say if if there's an irish boxer boxing for a medal rte will have a reporter there and there will be an interview afterwards it'll just be the microphone would be a big long stick you know rather than i kind can of, there'll be no high fives or hugs afterwards um so i mean there will be a certain amount of that um But, I mean, I've spoken to you, I think, before about doing commentaries on games where there's no crowd in the stadium. There's a a game. I think my second match um, is Mexico against France in the Tokyo Stadium. And, you know, if there were 40,000 people at that match, Mexico, France, would be fantastic. In an empty stadium, I mean, the commentators will be one of the very, very few people who are actually in the stadium. Um, So it is, it's going to be gonna be strange you know um but i'm, I'm kind of, i'm still hopeful that once the games get going and the events are happening there'll still be a kind of a degree of um excitement about the performances and stuff like that and I, like i'm still really looking forward to it but it's just yeah some of the some of the gloss has taken off with no crowd for sure
2: cool. yeah absolutely yeah but as i said like i, I know there's going to be rte people there and obviously broadcasting it back to us. But I was, I was more talking about the kind of the stories behind that, that we wouldn't be able to hear that the likes of the, those journalists can talk to each other about that. You won't even yeah. get to hear yeah. yourself, you know, but anyway, yeah. look, we'll, we'll t- come on, sorry.
0: I was just going to say the other thing that that's absent this time is, um, the, the, the backstory. Like for example, um, when Tom Barr, uh, came forth in Rio they did a great piece with his family who were all over and his sister who had represented Ireland and all that kind of stuff. And, um, a lot of that kind of, um, in the trade is called color, um, will be absent because, you know, the families can't be here and stuff. And so sometimes those stories are some of the best ones, uh,
2: but they're missing this time, unfortunately. Right. We'll probably get stuck into the action now, Connor. I'm looking forward to hearing how the, like I'm, I'd like to talk about this every week, if you don't mind, and um, seeing how you're getting on, and I'm sure the the listeners will be interested to hear what oh, you yeah. what you're up to, what you're up to over in Tokyo. No bother. Where do we start? Europe. Right, let's go. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> what's what's your assessment of the week?
2: Um, Shall so I go through it away? Um, I always kind of I always go for the negative first, and then go for the positives. Um, so let's start with the with the negatives and the the big negative I think was Sligo Rovers. Um, they left three hundred thousand euro on the table. Um, it was there for their taking, and they should have grabbed it with both hands. And they let it slip through their fingers massively in both games. They should have won both games, given the chances that they had. Obviously, we were talking to Greg last week. He admitted his his mistake, and it proved costly because they missed them on uh, the other night as well. Um. They they miss Greg. They, they cost the first leg cost them um, through, due to the sending off. The second leg cost them because the forward players could not take their chances. And um, they were missing a lot of players. Obviously, I think Robbie McCourt was missing. John Mann was missing. Um, Greg Bulger was obviously missing. Johnny Kenny wasn't uh, wasn't fully fit to start. He comes off the bench, scores a little bit too late. But the goals they gave away gone either it can't either either side of half time. Just can't do it. Just cannot do it at this level and. Um, it's just so frustrating from, from a Sligo Rovers point of view when you get it, when you are put up a, a, against a team like this. And it's like, it's always like the, I don't know, it's, you're coming up against a team that, the nearly men, I'd like to call most of your, over the last number of years, obviously apart from Dundalk, they've they done really well. But like other teams have, have have been on so close to getting through games that they should have got through and that they haven't due to just, it very poor errors. And, um, yeah, that was a big disappointment. Obviously, Shamrock Rovers um, went out, but look, they were absolutely superb. Um, I talked about that. I talked about during the week, I put out a tweet about um Rory Gaffney's pass to, to Richie Tell for that wonderful strike um for the goal. It was probably one of the best, best passes I've ever seen. Just the outside of his right foot, the, pe- the pace on it. Um, But you can only do that, you can only send that ball like that to a to certain type of players that are able to control it the way Richie is, um, or Richie can, should I say, and um, one touch bang, um, just a, just out of his feet and buried a top corner, great goal, and it was just such a shame. Obviously, we heard afterwards about refereeing decisions, and um, I've been very very critical this season of um, referees domestically, um, we've praised them in uh, in Euro twenty twenty, um, but yeah, we can't really praise them um, for their performance the other night in in Tallaght, um. Was really really poor, um, and then obviously onto the two the two teams that progressed. Um, I think we 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 would have known Dundalk were going to go through anyway, considering they they thumped uh, Newtown four 0 in the first leg. But look, very professional performance, great for our coefficient that they actually won the game over in Wales as well. Um, Michael Duffy, um, really really just shows us what Mike, Michael Duffy can do is pace, um, in behind and uh, the keeper. Keeper wasn't great for it, by all, but he kind of standing the other side of the goal. But um, it, was a, it was a lovely finish for, from Michael Duffy, anyway. Um, and then probably the, the the best the finish of the the, the big positive would be that the whole I don't know the whole event behind Bohemians. I think would be the best way to describe it. Um, I I said last week would they would they be able to. Um, compete at that like be able to do it at in in front of a big in front of sit different surroundings and it was and they certainly were able to do that the youngsters were absolutely superb um like I, I know Keith Long praised um Dawson Devoy but he also singled out Kieran Kelly and um I remember Kieran Kelly when he was with St Pats and con 1v1 he was one of the most difficult opponents that I had faced um as a professional footballer um, even when he was such a young young at 17, 18, I hated coming up against him training because nine times out of 10 he got the better of me, even at that age. Um, and then he had a wonderful season at Pats and um, then Stephen O'Donnell came in, didn't really fancy him and I think it, it really hurt him. I think it like I think it really, really hurt, damaged his confidence. He went up to Ballamina on loan from Bohemians as well and he was brilliant, gone absolutely brilliant up at, Bal- up at Balamina, Um Really, really composed on the ball um, and he was just yeah he was a, he, he stood out and um, he went back and he's done really really well this year I was actually critical of him if you remember against St. Pat's at, um, at Inchicore when he didn't make that slide tackle to prevent that certain goal um, but apart from that he's been really really good and again the other night he was exceptional um, so I'm delighted for him the way he's, he's finding his feet a little bit and um, look I've been talking about Dawson enough so <laughs> I'm going to give him a little break to, break today and um, but yeah, I do you know what's funny, Gon? I think like we're talking about Bohemians, and, and we've talked about them over the last number of years about Keith Long and Trevor Crawley. Was that the best decision that Bo's ever made, getting those two lads in? Possibly, um, the signings that they made, they're able to rebuild the squad every year. Absolutely fantastic. Um, Dan, Danny Lambert, the job, the job that he's doing at the club, absolutely superb. Luke Reardon as well. But I think the biggest decision. And the best decision that Bohemians have made is the amalgamation with St. Kevin's. Um, I think that has been um, absolutely huge for them, and um, for a number of different reasons. Obviously, the players coming through, um, the talent that they have, like, and it's not even like even take the take take the likes of, um, as I said, we talked about before, Dawson Devoy, Jamie Mullins, only 16 years old, making his European de- debut in in. Um, in the Aviva, um, like these are stars. Like these are absolutely going to be really, really good players, and they've all come from St Kevin's, and they've like this conveyor belt of talent that's coming up from from them um, has been really, really superb. And um, even the lads that they're gone out on loan as well, they're doing really, really well. And look, it's um, it's an it's an absolute credit. I know, like with Jack Moylan down at Wexford, he's going to be he's he's, he's turning heads already in his, his, his recent performances. So. Yeah, I actually think that's probably the, the the biggest and best decision that they've made as yeah. a club over the last number of years. Yeah, there was one of the goals um, where
0: Dawson Devoy cut into the area and set up um, Georgie Kelly, and it just—I know this is hyperbole gone mad—but it actually reminded me of Messi or something. The way he kind of avoided the, it swerved his body and his control and everything—it was—it was just, yeah, it, it was great
2: to watch. You know? Yeah, and just to be able to have that ability and and that. Confidence, I think, would be the best word to describe it. At such a young age, to be at in 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 a big game, European game, and um, to do that little left foot, right foot, um, brilliant baller, and you see, Georgie's smart. Like with the players that they have in their team, Liam Burt, Ali Coote, uh, Dawson Devoy, um, Ross Tierney, um, Georgie doesn't have a lot of work to do outside that box because all those players are the creative players that can do that for him. So Georgie, although it's the most difficult job as a footballer, is putting the ball in the back of the net. He only has to position himself from the six yard from one end of the six yard box to the other side, and the chances will come from. And he's done it really, really well this season. And another two goals for him as well, which is absolutely it's superb. And we're getting to see the the best of him now as well, without a doubt. So we have Dundalk into the
0: next round, we've bows into the next round, and Shamrock Rovers obviously dropped from the Champions League into the Conference League. So three teams left. Uh, in Europe rovers get a buy in the second round into the third round. Um would you fancy Dundalk on both chances in the next round?
2: Yeah, I do. Um Dundalk obviously face Levadia Tallinn um or will face Levadia Tallinn. They beat St. Joseph's um from Gibraltar. And I think they they they, they, they they'll I've I no doubt about it they'll, they'll overcome, they'll do that, they'll they'll win that tie. And um Bohemians face do the launch, um, and I think they'll 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 do that as well. And look, I don't think a l- like a lot of people are saying like Stern and they weren't a great side. No, um, I actually thought they were good. I thought they were re- they were a decent decent side. Their form domestically isn't great at the moment. Um, I felt that they lacked confidence in the game it, at the Aviva, but Balls took it to them. And I think if they do that, if they play like the the way they played the other day um they really make they'll, they'll they'll they can easily overcome uh, this look at uh, this luxembourg side and um like, look, the only thing is I'm, i'd do. be slightly
0: worried about that um in that um club football in luxembourg obviously has been on the rise a, a bit of money has come into it and, and is it not a bit easy just to dismiss them
2: and say oh yeah both will those take care of them um I don't know because you're saying you're saying the Luxembourg side is on the rise. I did notice one of the um one of the teams, Fala Esch, um was absolutely annihilated annihilated in the in the Conference League. I think it was six one on aggregate by a very very poor outfit from I'm not going to say a poor outfit, Jesus, um but from one of the so called lesser nations and yeah. the name's escaping me now, but it was a lesser nation, um to Luxembourg. So, um. Yeah, maybe, perhaps I am. Um, but then again, like, it's only a couple of years ago now since um, a lot of teams from Ireland played Luxembourg, um, teams I played myself against them not too long ago. But no, I, I, I don't. I think we have to put ourselves up there, Con. I think, um, well, especially the with the way balls are playing. Yeah. 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 yeah, especially with the way they're playing. And it's not even, as I said, we're, we've been concentrating on their attacking players over the last number of weeks. And I think it's fair to... to, to g up the, the defense a little bit because they've been really really good um obviously kieran kelly i've mentioned but it's not just him Do you know there's been the, the, andy lyons has been very very good james Talbot and goal has been excellent
0: okay. um
2: yeah so look there's and it's not even that they've, they've got strength and depth now you know and it's um i i, I look as they go out i think they would be very disappointed put it that way yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um.
0: Well, look. Will we talk about the domestic issues uh, after we chat with uh, Mark Bircham? Because um, Mark obviously has taken over the Waterford reins in in May and uh, has a great story to tell. Um. So let's hear from the new Waterford manager, relatively new anyway, Mark Bircham. Well, we're joined now by uh, Waterford manager Mark Burcham, And uh, Mark, this is the eve of your game um, this weekend, and we really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to us. Obviously, uh, you have the game against Sligo uh, to look forward to, so you're, you're staying in on a Saturday night, which is good.
1: Yeah, of course. I'm professional. That's what we do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, um, you know, if, I suppose you're settling into Waterford now at this stage, and... Um, if we go back to how it all came about and how the the job came up for you, what was the story there?
1: Uh, oh well, from knowing Lee Power before, I was a youth player when Lee was at Millwall, and uh, as I said, that was my connection with Lee. And then I also know Richard, the new owner that was coming in, that was thinking about buying. So chatted with with both of them, and then it got put to me if I would be interested in the job. I'd done my homework on the team and. Most people said, don't take the job. So the way that I am, I thought, right, I'm going to take the job. I can, take, I can change that round. And luckily, at the minute, it seems to be going okay. But, yeah, they didn't tell me about the quarantine and play, not having players first three games. So that, that might have changed my decision a little bit.
2: You, you came in, obviously, with the, with the club, bottom of the league. Um, you started off with, I think it was three consecutive defeats. But I remember after the first defeat... Um, to Derry, I think it was. There was a drastic. There was a drastic improvement in terms of effort, number one, and performance as well by the club. So, or by the team. So, even in your early days at the club, there was a significant improvement.
1: Yeah, but just coming in, like going back to the the COVID situation here that I didn't know fully about when I come in. Literally, the, uh, all the players were put in 14-day quarantine. And then when we come to the, to the game, we had, I think, a day and a half for training. And I had 15 players and three of them were goalies. So it was, it was a little bit difficult. And on top of that, having three games in a week is difficult enough with a fully stamped squad. But just to have the players that we had available to pay them three games, I knew deep down we was going to need not a miracle, but close to one, to get a result out in three games. And it was hard because I had to change the style of play. I wanted to play a little bit more possession football. And the way that I like to, uh, well, play as a team is high-tempo pressing, which we couldn't because the players hadn't trained for 14 days. And to go into three games of the week, having high press would have been madness and it would never work. So we tried to... I tried to tinker a bit tactically, just sit to see what we could get out of them three games. And we was unlucky in, in a couple of them. But the, the first process was that I had to come in, I had to improve performances. Then I had to improve the players and then hopefully improve results. And it seemed to work. And it was just trying to get as many points and as many good performances as we can till the window opened and we could get some new players in I who we we're desperate for some we was the youngest squad in the league. And as I always said, you they say you can't win anything with kids. Well it's even harder to stay up with kids. And you look at the you, you look at any good team, even young teams like the class of night too, man, you they still have Pallister, Bruce, Ince, Mark Hughes up front. The spine of the team normally is always experienced that will help the youngsters along. And I think that's what I, I was desperate to bring that to the to the squad and to the team, which I think we've we've done now.
2: You took over, like, obviously during COVID situation, but also dressing room unrest. Um, There was obviously the Brian Murphy situation where he wasn't training at all. Rumours about previous managers going off on golf trips and not training. So
1: I'm sure there was... I should try um, that one. I've not done that yet. It might be a good one. (laughs) It sounds good, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know what? When you, when you, you normally take over a job, there's normally something wrong with it because someone's had so I never I never talk bad about anyone that I've come into a job after because the football's hard enough and it's and, and football's a game for opinions but with Murph I worked with Murph I was his reserve coach at QPR I know exactly what he was about but it was just trying to install my culture and my personality on the team and just to put out what I wanted from them I everything that I put out I wanted to represent me and I've got a bit of a personality, but I'm hardworking. And as I said, if you're going to lose a game, you lose it the right way. And I think in the, especially the first two games against Derry and Finn Harps, we, we lost the right way. There's ways to lose games. And it was like that, being unlucky, but leaving everything on the field. And I said to them, look, the performances will get better. Results will change. And it was just great to have the, the break when we did, where we didn't have a game like a mini pre-season. And I think out of the 14 days, I gave them one day off. And we was in morning, afternoon, just not, OK, we was doing running, but just, just trying to catch them up with the tactics that I want. I always like to have two different formations so we can switch to it during games and we can be a bit unpredictable. And it was just the times in the afternoons, even if it's walk through tactics, these kids nowadays, they don't get up to about one o'clock in the afternoon anyway. So if I could just get them in and work on a little bit of tactics, they've still got half good. It's still like a day off anyway, so that's what I've tried to put in there, and all the players really bought into it. And I think it, it, it came out the first game that we had Dundalk and we we won up there, and we, we sort of we needed that result because it don't matter what anyone says, managers, everyone can buy into it. But if you don't start getting results, players start losing a bit of faith. And I think that was the result that rubber stamped. And yeah, we like we're going in the right direction. And from there, if you look at our form, it's it's been really good, and it's been like top half. So powerful of the league full, really. Yeah, it's interesting, um,
0: though, that your, your wins have come away from home. I mean, you won at Longford, you won at Harps. Um, I suppose the, the next step for you is to try and get some sort of consistency at the RSC.
1: Yeah, and... and, and... People talk about home and away. When there was no crowds, there's no there's no difference in yeah. it, really. Yeah. You look at West. You look at West Ham. And I think that's why they done so well last year because they didn't have their fans booing them after ten minutes, <laughs> and all and, and all their players could relax. So, and and you see some other results. I think that's why Liverpool didn't do so well because that's one one place you do go to where the fans can influence refereeing decisions. And you've seen in the last couple of games that we have away. Refs have been influenced when we played in even a Finn Hart's game. There was definitely some influencing going on somewhere. So hopefully we can influence the officials with, with the fans are in uh, uh, at home. And but look, we've been we've been so unlucky at home. I okay. can I think there was only one game probably we got fortunate with a decision, and that was against St. Pat's at home, with uh, their fella getting sent off and our lad not. But other than that, we've probably been due a couple of a couple of good decisions. But as I say. All we can control is our performance. I say to the players every week, there's going to be mistakes or someone's going to smash it in from 30 yards in the top corner. You can't really control it. All you can control is how we play. And if we if we play the way that we want to play and we shut down the way that we want to shut down, hopefully we'll win more games than we lose.
2: I talked last week actually about how, how your recent signings have come, gone completely under the radar in terms of the Irish media. And... Um, Eddie Nolan, uh Anthony Wordsworth and, and Junior as well coming in from Charlton under 23s. How big of an influencer
1: are those lads around the dressing room? Yeah, for Eddie, I'll start with Eddie and Woody, they're they're men. And that's what we need in the team. They're men with their size. We needed size in the team because uh yeah, we was quite a small squad and we needed that, but not only that, their their experience and their talking. Uh Sometimes it felt like I was playing thief on the sidelines because I was trying to control everything because there weren't much talking with the lads. Even like in training, I've said, we had to, had to take it back. Where, look, if you don't give information when you pass it, it's a free kick to the other team just to get them talking all the time because they've probably not been used to it or they've not been in a professional setup to do that. And I think it will rub off on the other players that are playing alongside and the other defenders that will play alongside they be, They'll be able to see what it's like having an experienced player talking through situations and especially with Woody, I think it'd get the best out of Nilo Keefe as well. So you've come in with the club,
2: bottom of the league, Mark. Um did you always feel that you would turn the club around?
1: Yeah, I did, definitely. And but well, when I say definitely, yeah, I thought that I'd I'd every chance to try and turn them around because I thought if I could if I could get us fit, if I could get us organized in and out of possession, work on set plays and set pieces, I think that alone could have could have made us a better team and looking at the homework of the games that I see of the team, then if I could have got through to the transfer window and bought in some, as I said, more experienced players, I really thought we could give it a really good go of trying to stay up. And look, we're only we've only half the job done with what we're four points off in harps now. Uh we're second from bottom. So the first stage is done. But what I've learned about football, as soon as you think you've cracked it, It'll kick you in the ass. So we've just got to really keep on to the players and just the process that's happening with us and how, how far we've come in a short space of time. We've just got to make sure we keep keep on that process and, and still waiting for our, for our goal, which is to stay in the division and hopefully have a good cut run.
0: Do you know, um, Mark, um, you were talking about when you came in and, and looking at the situation at Waterford before you arrived. How difficult is it for somebody like you coming over and, and maybe not knowing as much about the opposition teams as somebody who's been based here, like in terms of getting the info on, on who you're going to be playing, how much of a, uh, a job is that?
1: It is, and it is, I think, from where I've gone and worked in America in the MLS and not knowing too much about the opposition, that really helped me, as I said, kind to of, to Bahamas, the players in the opposition that you've had to look on, it's it's sort of I'm used to that, really. So that's just what's really helped me. And I do, I do say to other coaches, if you can go and work abroad, it definitely should because it broadens your horizons and it takes you out of your comfort zone. And I'm, I'm quite happily working out my comfort zone. And really, with, for me, I I concentrate on my own side first. Yeah, well, we look at the opposition, and again, we look at players, and we sometimes it's. Sometimes it does help you because you actually look at the team in their recent form. You look at the, their last three games and a bit like when I was coaching the championship, you have preconceived ideas of players of what they were two, three years ago or teams. And they're probably not at that level as they were. So you're literally you're looking at short-term memory as in uh, the, the recent form and recent history and it helps you. And, but as I said, normally it's that we, we, we try and work on our own shape, our own culture and team, how we want to play and then we'll, we'll tweak stuff to see uh, the best way we can get their cheeks in the, the armour of the opposition. So as a long-winded answer, but yeah, I think it's helped me work in, in other places abroad where I've not been familiar to mm. why it's helped with this job. Were you surprised by the facilities and, and the academy of Warford when you joined? No, I mean, no, it wasn't because, again, I, I'd done my homework with that and seeing the players coming in, You've got John Martin, Nilo Keys, Shane Griffiths, you've got Matt, the goalies, you've got uh, Paul Martin as well. You've got got like five or six in the team that are academy graduates. And me coming from an academy youth background from when I finished playing, I was uh, straight into the under 18s manager at QPR and then helping the, the being head of the 21s then it was the 23s so I'm a big believer in uh, promoting youth players and as you've seen I've gave three of the lads from the number 90s their debuts this year as well so I do want uh, I think it's great for local talent to be coming in because you represent the community it's not just about winning games a lot of the time. especially Walkford, a one-town club and it's a, a big part of the community so if you can I was lucky enough to play for my boyhood club, which was QBR. So, to support that club all my life and play for it, I know how special that is. So, if we can do that for, for, for the, the young boys of Waterford and they can come to the game and have a chance of playing in that team, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And I know the owners are, are, are that's a part of their vision. They want to see a pathway of young players from Waterford end up playing for the club.
2: You were the. Um... Richard Forrest, when he came in as owner, he described Waterford as, as a sleeping giant. Um, can you see why he, he said that?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, Yes, I can. I, I've got to say, yes, he's the owner of the club. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, giant, giant is a big word, but uh, let's say... An underperforming monster, let's let's say that, instead of a sleeping giant. But, no, uh, I think there's great potential here. And I think I think what it is, is you speak to the people in the town, they're so enthusiastic. As I said in the first three games, we didn't win a game, and they were telling me how good it was. It was a bit annoying, to be fair. I wanted to grab them. They said, no, it's not good enough. We didn't win. But they were just so positive because... They just, want, they just want the team to do well and so they're, they're right behind the team and I think they've been crying out for some positivity and uh, some positive news coming out of the club and I think it's a, it's a great chance to get the fans in and get them right behind the team. And As I said, if we can stay in the league first of all, then we can, then we can look on to next season. But this year is all about staying in the league and hopefully having a, a good cut run.
0: In an overall sense, uh, Mark, what's your impression of the league here?
1: Yeah, very good. I I knew the league before because when I was at QPR, we we got Ryan Manning from Galway. So, and I was a big fan and Ryan Manning helped me at QPR. So, non-league, I think from when it's transitioned from a winter league to a summer league, I think that was very good for the standard of the league, not only for the players, but the standard of the pitches and the weather, because as I know, it's summertime. I'm here in Ireland, I think I've had a t shirt on seven days. So you can imagine what it's like playing in that in January and February. The pitches are not gonna be bowling green lush. So the games that I used to see there in the League of Ireland in the winter, it was more of a battle, but I think as I said, for it to be a summer league and you look at all the teams, majority of them will do want to get the ball down and play. And, and there is some there is some talent here in Ireland especially in the in the league.
2: Obviously, you came in. I was, as I said before, I was highly critical of of, of the club and, and the management before you came in. But since since you have come in, and I spoke very openly about how, how much you re- rejuvenated, not just the team itself, but the club as a whole and the community. And um, I'm sure you're looking forward to to the games coming up at the RSC, where you can finally get crowds back into back into
1: the into the ground. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's more it's more like real football. You, you need the fan that football's only for the fans. As I said, I was a I was a fanatic QPR fans of four to fifteen. So it, unless you're a fan, you can never understand how the fans feel if you're a player. I've always said that. So to for you, for your team to be doing not so well as it was and it wasn't looking good to to maybe get this lifeline that we've had and we've got a chance of turning it round and standing in the league. I think I think the fans Coming from COVID and how bad it's been the last year to then on top of that, your team not doing well, looking like you're getting relegated. It just seemed like there's a big black cloud over everyone. But now, look, out of lockdown, hopefully, so well out of the Freedom Day, what they're talking about here, where everything opens up and then your foot, your football team on the positive way up. I think it's all going to hopefully become the perfect storm and Waterford can be really, really enjoying themselves.
2: Before before we let you go, I have to mention. Obviously, you were born very close to uh, Wembley, and yeah. uh, the the result might have devastated you a little bit. Uh,
1: how did you How did you find well, It all depends how the results go with Waterford. Because when I win, I'm Canadian, and when I'm lose, I'm the English manager Mark Bertram <laughs> So I've seen how that. I know. I know how it worked out here. So That's, not, that's no problem. So I think at the minute I'm Canadian. They're in the Gold Cup. I can cheer them on. But uh, yeah, they're, they're big English fans out here in Watford. I was quite surprised. Like the Watford badge's got three lions on it. Like I thought the three lions song would be sung more down here, but funny enough, it's not. So <laughs> they was, it was, it was weird because the sports shop's here. Oh, "This is, sorry." someone was just trying to call me there. Well, the sports shops here done a roaring trade selling Scotland tops. That any team that England plays, they sell out a top. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was... Look, they've done well to get to the final. I, I said three, four weeks ago that they would lose on penalties to Italy in the final. So, funny enough, I get them feelings. But I was disappointed with the way, not being critical, Gav Southgate, lovely bloke, lovely man, but I just thought we could have dealt with the final better. I just thought we went, we scored early and then maybe it was too early and we went completely defensive. And I thought maybe we should put Harry Kane back into midfield as a 5-4 and leave Sterling up top for his pace. And then they would have had to put two defenders back. So it's a numbers game. We defended a lot easier against against their eight men with our nine. But what do I know? I'm a crap manager in the league of Ireland. He's a, he's a national team manager nearly winning the Euro. so...
0: <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know what? One thing I'd be interested to know um, with the penalty shootouts, the way Garrett Southgate just allocated the penalties to the players, um, it's an interesting way of going about it. I, I don't know whether you'd do
1: the same. No, funny enough, last week at Fin I said to my players, we're going to get nothing, I fancy us winning the game. So we practiced penalties the day before and Junior was the best penalty taker and he ended up, luckily enough, or magnificent wisdom by me, we got a penalty and Junior scored it. So, look, that weren't an instant decision from, from Gareth. He's probably been working on that for three weeks, penalties. So, they would have known who was taking it. I was just surprised that he did make Saka the fifth penalty taker, being a young lad, but maybe he thought, as a young lad, Sometimes they don't have any fear because they've not had any bad experiences. But well, he's changed that now for him, Gareth. So yeah. So uh I, would, I yeah, that was the that was the one. And the other thing is, you pro- everything that's gone on, you don't that was the best penalty I've ever seen in a shootout, Harry Maguire. And he don't get any credit for that. It's an yeah. unbelievable penalty. But for me, if you're taking a penalty, hit as hard as you can in the corner. And if the keeper pulls out a world-class save, then he pulls out a world-class save. I just thought. Some of the penalties that they missed could have have been done better. But unless you're in that situation, that is is massive nerves. And they've done well to get that far. I didn't think, as I said, I predicted that Italy would beat them on penalties, but they've done well to get that far. And just one last thing before
0: we let you go. Do you, you, well, you probably don't realise this, but your path more or less almost crossed with uh, Conan.
2: How long ago was it? Yeah. When... (laughs)
1: 15 years. So 15 well, years. 15 20, no, sorry, 21 years ago it was. 21 years ago. Yeah, mm. he come on trial at Mill. <laughs> That's when we, we we had the Irish connection. We had quite a lot of lads come and see Stephen Roach come across. Uh, then we Richard Sander of course, Robbie Ryan. So we had an Irish contingent there as well. So, yeah, it, it look what could have been what could have been <laughs> could have been your assistant <laughs> <laughs> exactly you still could do what, you still could if it comes you more something I'll calling you up
0: <laughs> well listen uh, Mark I really appreciate you talking to us best of luck against um, Sligo Rovers It's a tri- actually mention the Sligo Rovers one last thing sorry this, uh, finally finally um, you remind me a bit of Paul Cook who came over here and took over the job in Sligo and was a force. Sure yeah. had a great personality, and everybody in the town got behind the club, and he had great success with them. And I can see parallels here. I, I don't know if anybody has said that to you before, but uh, you know, I can see your. Person- I don't think that, <laughs> that means looks. <laughs> You've more hair. Than that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. Cookie, you come over and done really well. If I could do off as well as he done, then I'll I'll, I'll be happy.
0: Well, listen, again, thanks a million for talking to us here on uh, LOI Arena. Really appreciate it. And, and as I said, uh, best of luck against Sligo Rovers this weekend.
1: Thanks, you can You can stop pretending you're in Tokyo now, just because the Wi-Fi went down. Is that a, that a backdrop there? I think you got a backdrop on No problem, chat Thanks a lot. Right, right thanks for a million,
0: part. Mark. A great chatting with Mark Burcham there. And there's no doubt about it, Conan. He's a, an infectious character isn't he uh, in, and i suppose infectious in this day and age is, is not a positive term but actually he's infectious in a positive way down in watford
2: yeah you took the words out of my milk con because um infectious would have been the word that i'd use to describe my he's he, he the players love to play from and um, you can get that f- vibe from him straight away um and i think even just by his interviews um post-match pre match, and um, press conferences um he, he he kind of understood what needed to be done very very quickly, and talking about with their, it there, what like obviously doing double sessions, um, like he knew what needed to be done. And as I said to you too, like look, everyone knows how critical I was of, of the previous managers that were in Waterford um over the last number of months. Um, it was a breath of fresh air to see somebody like Mark come in and and grab a bull by the horns and 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 do such a good job relatively quickly. Obviously, as I said, he started with three defeats, but since then, he's, what is it, one three and drew one out of his next six. Um, and he's he's only lost to Derry and Shamrock Rovers. So, look, it's been really, really impressive. So, um, yeah, so fair play to him.
0: Yeah, well, as we talk here and um, they haven't played Sligo yet of course two matches on Sunday this week so anybody who's listening to this probably will know the results of those games Bowes against Longford and Waterford against Sligo and on Friday night the top two uh, both had wins uh, and then Dundalk were uh, impressive albeit just 1-0 winners against Finn Harps at at home on Saturday night and if we take the top two first of all um, St. Pat's very solid I mean Drogheda everybody knows now Drogheda Tough opponents, but um Pat's comfortable enough,
2: two-nil winners, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I think like I think Sligo Rovers would have been rubbing their hands at Glee at half time anyway in both the games. Um like Derry City, well, we're two-nil up. Obviously, grainberg Burke, Burke scored at the most crucial time in the game to make it two one, um, which we'll come to in a minute. And um obviously the, the game at, at Injacor was was nil-all, there wasn't much chances in the game. Um and it was heading for an, a, a stalemate. If I'm being totally honest, I didn't see much happening. Pretty similar to the game against Derry the previous week. But that man gave Christopher Forster. Um, he did the business last week. He did it again this week. And um, two goals were carbon copy. Bet the offside trap. Um, Maddie Smith and uh, done particularly well. And um, yeah, really, really good for for really, really good goals for St. Pat's. And um, obviously, then when they went two 0 up. Shamrock Rovers weren't going to let them go off on their own up to, uh, um, at the top of the table, and they produced a, a wonderful comeback victory. Look, it's um, against the like we've talked about it before about Rudy Higgins and uh, and the job that he's doing. Um, but he'll be oh my god, he'll be bitterly disappointed with how they conceded four goals to, to Shamrock Rovers in in the space of about 47, 48 minutes. Um like they 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 were brilliant in that opening spell, Ronan Boyce getting off the mark as as well. As I said, I talked about him last week too, and um, told him to get up the pitch a little bit more. He might have been listening, um, because that's exactly how he scored his goal. And um, uh, Junior slotting away the penalty, and they, they were, look, they were relatively comfortable. I thought, um, like Shamrock was obviously were huffing and puffing, um, like they should, like as, as a champions team should. But I like the way I, I like their, I say their, their desire would be the wrong word to use, but. Um, because all players should have it, but to just the, the determination, maybe just to, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because you could at that stage you could throw in the towel, throw in the towel, pardon the pun. But um, yeah, like obviously with with Ronan Finn in, in that team as well, and um, you are never going to go hiding. You are not going to be allowed to go hiding. So um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant goals, Con is what I would have said about the um, the comeback. And all came down Derry's right hand side. Um, most of them came down that right hand side, but. Again, Gaffney, Nathan Garthside so will be a bit disappointed, I think, with the, the concession of the third goal. Um, the second goal was brilliant. Um, Liam Scales again and um, Sean Kavanagh, which is, it looks great to see Sean Kavanagh back on the pitch as well. <clears throat> uh, Con, I think he's been a big miss, being totally honest. Terrific fullback, wingback. And, um, yeah, brilliant victory. Brilliant victory. So, um, yeah, both of those now level on, level on points at the top of 41. And Sligo have a big job now. On their hands to try and try and match the the results of the of of Shamrock Rovers and St. Pat's sixth win in
0: a row for Shamrock Rovers at the Brandywell as well, which is um, an interesting record. I mean, because I always thought that that was a difficult place to go, but um, Rovers kind of had the Indian sign on Derry at the
2: moment, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, they they were in the end they were full credit for their victory, but um, as you, as you mentioned, their application was superb. Once they once they went down two 0 they to, to come back from it. Um, it's a sign of champions, isn't it? That's what they say. I still do think that Shamrock always will win the league, Con, I really do. Um, maybe I'd, I was saying at the start of the season they'd win pretty comfortably, but I do still think they'll win the league. But And then obviously with, with David McMillan back on form as well at, at Oriel Park, um, that first half was probably the most one-sided first half I've ever seen in football. My God, it should have been about two or three, well, three or four um, at time and I thought maybe they might be be left to 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 rue those missed chances. And um, but Finn Harps couldn't get the goal, and Dunbar um, probably should have scored another few in the second half, even though it was a bit tighter. And um, another good victory for them. Like since Finney has come in, they've done really, really well, really well. Um, they've gone above Derry now. They're they're only three points off off Draw and Bohemians, um, and they have that European spot in sight. So who knows? Do you know what they seem to have uh, at the moment?
0: Just some sort of, um, I think the word would be stability. You know that I think that was the third game in a row where the same team had started. So there's a, um, it just feels like a sense of calm. I know they've lost or they're going to lose uh, Patrick McElhinney and there's talk of other players leaving and that's obviously unsettling. But just on the pitch, they seem to be organised again.
2: I suppose that's what the supporters wanted the most, Con, was that so it's stability on the football pitch. Um, obviously, off the pitch, supporters aren't happy. Um, but as long as the results are going well at the moment, and they've they've a chance of getting through another couple of rounds in Europe. Um, as I said, I do fancy them to get through. Um, and then look, there's no no there's oh, there's just that that challenge that that race for fourth spot is just there's so many te- good teams there like the likes of Bo, like Bohemians would be probably would. would Think they'll be pushing for third, sec- third, possibly even second. Another good bit behind at the moment, but they still they have the potential, con to 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 really put it up there. But they'll be expecting at least fourth to get Europe again. Um, but then there's a couple of good teams behind them trying to get that place as well. The likes of Drada, who had a good season, they do. I don't see them last in the pace. Um, but Dundalk, absolutely, like you'd expect them to get to get a European spot. And if they don't, it'd be it's a big failure for the club. You know, it's a big failure. Hmm. Um, just
0: um, briefly before we go this week, Conan, um, I'm conscious that my Wi-Fi thing is starting to wave here again. So uh, hopefully you can still hear me. Uh, quick synopsis of the
2: first division and, and the women's national league. Is there anything that stood out for you over the weekend? Um, Obviously Shel- and the women's national league, obviously Shelburne, um, another last last gasp winner against DLR Waves, Um, at, in, in at the Bellfield Bowl, so that was a, a huge victory for them in their in their pursuit of the title, um, and they're getting used to these last minute winners. Obviously, Pymount had a com- comfortable victory against Treaty, um, Ryan Ellen Doyle again amongst the amongst the amongst the scores. So yeah, it's just carbon copy Wexford win. So it's the same t- top three win again, um, so yeah, um, the most enough so the Women's National League, same old story. Three teams win, shells last minute winner. So yeah. Um, in the first division, obviously d beating UCD to to open up that gap between third and fourth is big. There's a four point gap there. Jack Lynch played a captain's role. Um, two goals, one, a terrific header from a Mark Ludden cross, um, and then Colin Whelan obviously scored from the penalty spot um, to put him. He I think he's gone too too clear of Ryan Brennan now at the top of the goal scores charts. Um, Shell's obviously winning uh, down in, in Lizzie Whelan, which is a, which is another big victory for them. Puts them eleven. 11 points clear at the top they were 9 but obviously with Galway drawing at Bray with Brian Mars making a, a wonderful 96 minute save and, um, which was incredible um, but the big surprise a surprise I suppose but Cove beating uh, Cavantini uh, to, to put Cork into second bottom um, after their draw on Wexford as well like I think Dodge put up Dodge put up a tweet there early, earlier on to the um, Today, saying that uh, three years ago to this day, the Cork were playing in a in a in a qualifier against Legia Warsaw, and um, a European qualifier against Legia Warsaw. And now look at them, you know, second bottom in the first division, um, and really, really struggling. So, I don't like to end things negatively, but um, it's just a sad state of affairs when you see them. Um, like 26 points adrift of first place in the first division you know they I know a lot of people were talking about them challenging them for a playoff spot that was never going to happen with the squad that they had um but I don't think anyone envisaged seeing them second from bottom and um like Wexford will have to have a great run um over the next couple of couple of weeks which I can see them having, by the way um but like you never know you never know but um it's a bit disappointing when you see a team like Cork. Cork was always a team that was very, very difficult to play against. And they are going to have a, a very, very tricky cup tie against Sligo Rovers as well. Um next weekend. So it's a, uh, yeah, very, very, very interesting few uh few days coming up as well. Yeah, I think we'll have to do a a, a
0: programme that focuses on Cork City in the coming weeks and just um try and you know, get to the bottom of what's been going on and and what the future might hold for them and uh, hopefully brighter days ahead. Um, So listen, we might leave it there, Conan. Um, I I think the people next door are awake so I can raise my voice a little bit now. Um, (laughs) And I'll uh, talk to you next week. The action will be underway here. Um, Obviously, the um, first game I'm doing is on Wednesday. Zambia against the Netherlands in the uh, women's... Football, the Netherlands beating World Cup finalists, so that should actually be a really interesting game. But, um, anyway, that's all for, for next week. Um, for this week, though, thanks a million. Great talking to you as ever. Um, and while I get up and start my day, it's time for you to go to bed.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, and time for you to leave that to get your breakfast, probably. You can't, but, um, no, I'm, get, great. I'm looking forward to hearing from you now over the next uh, next yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But looking forward to hearing from you and your exploits over the next couple of weeks, most definitely. Yeah, interesting times ahead. Listen, thanks a
0: million, Conan, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a million to you for listening as well. We'll see you next week.